0: Let's recap and react to the big AI conversations at Davos. Plenty of news items this week also have us asking whether the Vision Pro is dead on arrival, Google is making more cuts, and Meta has bought a boatload of NVIDIA chips. All that and more coming up right after this.
1: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm, for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc.
0: Welcome to Big Technology Podcast Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed and nuanced format. We have so much to talk about this week, including plenty of updates from Davos, where it seems like everybody gathered, and then real product news from Apple and uh, corporate news from Google and Facebook, just buying up every NVIDIA chip in the world. Joining us as always here on Fridays is Ranjan John Roy, who writes margins on Substack. Ron John, welcome.
1: Alex, are you in Brooklyn or are you in Davos right now?
0: Honestly, the best thing about YouTube is that you can literally sit in on every single conversation from Davos and you don't need to go.
1: And I've been there. All right, Alan, I have to drop it. I've this been is in Davos. Where Alex is about... going to say, I have been to Davos. <laughs> I, Ranjan, have not been to Davos, but. Tell us about Davos, Alex.
0: Having been there once, I was very, very (laughs) happy to watch everything on YouTube and then actually like be able to speak with people about what it all meant. And I think we're going to have a good time going through what happened there here this week. So uh, we're going to do a new thing here. We're going to play a few recordings of uh, some of the big names that actually spoke there and react to what they said and um, kind of unpack it. So... Uh, the two speakers that I picked out were uh, Satya Nadella and uh, Sam Altman, not surprisingly. They've been driving a lot of the news in the tech world, in the AI world recently, and they spoke about some really interesting things, including the state of their partnership and where the research is going. And this is from their conversations with Brad Stone at, at the Bloomberg House. So, Ranjan, what do you say? Let's get right into it. Let's get into it. Okay, so first of all, in case you're wondering about how Microsoft feels about the OpenAI partnership, here is what Satya Nadella had to say about it.
2: I feel very, very good about the construct we have. Uh, I feel at the same time very capable of uh, controlling our own destiny. Uh, so it's not like uh, that we are single-threaded even today on. Uh, Azure, it, and, and, and this is not about even OpenAI. It's all about reflection of what our customers want. Every customer who comes to Azure, for example, in fact, our own products, it's not about one model. We care deeply about having the best frontier model, which happens to be, for example, today, GPT-4. Uh, but we also have Mistral as uh, uh, as a models as a service inside of Azure. We use uh, Lama in places. We have Pi, which is the best SLM from Microsoft.
0: Now, doesn't that sound like Satya Nadella taking pains to really push home the point that they're not reliant on OpenAI? And doesn't it sound like Microsoft is trying to hedge away from OpenAI?
1: I don't think he's taking pains. I think he's pretty confident about saying that they're not dependent on OpenAI. I mean, very clearly saying, you know, right now, the best model is GPT-4, but we are you know, using Llama and everything else. I think is pretty interesting. And again, on that, I've been using Microsoft Copilot recently more. Um, Again, their public-facing chat interface because it actually gives you access to GPT-4 and Dolly 3 for free. You just have to be signed in. Um, Unlike ChatGPT, where you need to pay for ChatGPT Plus to get access to the latest models on a reliable basis. And it's crazy to me because... I, they're giving it away for free. And we've talked about it previously on the show, but but it's clear to me, Microsoft is not going to be reliant on open AI, what that partnership looks like going forward. I, I really don't understand what it is right now. I don't know. What What do you think it is? What do you think Satya's vision is right now for open AI? Cause he didn't seem to give a clear.
0: That is a great question. I mean, I think that's one of the big questions that we're going to have to answer this year. I don't have an answer to it, honestly. And There was a conversation that was had on CNBC throughout the week about how impactful OpenAI was and and AI in general was to Microsoft's valuation. Microsoft, we should note, just surpassed Apple as the most valuable company in the world again. And there were rumblings that OpenAI and AI itself has added a trillion dollars to Microsoft's uh, valuation and market cap. And so what are you left with if they now are trying to distance themselves? from OpenAI. I guess what Satya Nadella is really doing right here is he's saying I'm riding the horse that I have, which is OpenAI, but I also know that there's gonna be some sort of commoditization of the technology that they're building. Assuming OpenAI doesn't continue to outpace the field and it will be difficult to do that. And so therefore he's waiting on the hedge. But then the question is, does the hedge provide the competitive advantage to Microsoft if everybody is starting to be able to, take advantage of that. Like one of the models he mentioned was Llama, which is open source. So where does Microsoft's advantage lie there? Is it productizing this AI? Maybe. I mean, enterprise is definitely a place where this is going to factor, but it is very confusing.
1: Yeah, I think... Especially a company like Microsoft, it's worth, there's multiple layers that when we say enterprise, we even have to think about it in two levels. There's a consumer software enter, or enterprise software layer. Again, when I open Microsoft Word or PowerPoint, what capabilities do I have and Microsoft's moving pretty fast in this like you know they're way ahead of Google in terms of what they've actually launched and released to their customers and then of course there's the more deep integrations within Azure people building their own products and in both of those it's clear that they're making big strides and they're not dependent on open AI models I mean I think uh, I think it's clear that the product level is a going to potentially be a big competitive advantage for them. And again, I've been using Microsoft CoPilot a lot more. And and just for fun, when Alex, when we were going over this week's uh, week's topics, and I was like, I'll do this nowadays more when I'm looking up a news story. I'll check ChatGPT, BARD, CoPilot, see, you know, can you give me a list of articles around a specific topic? In great moments in BARD, google's chatbot product i asked you know can you list some news articles and provide a recap of what Sa- satya nadella and sam altman said at davos mm-hmm. and the answer is elections are a complex topic with fast changing information to make sure you have the latest and most accurate information try google search
0: okay so i really bard don't feel is so barding. bad for uh <laughs> i just bashed bard uh, on air on cnbc <laughs> it's just like don't you know, feel bad about, me about that, gemini i was like First of all, Bard's not good, and they're like, "You mean?" The, I'm like, "Yeah, the cap, capabilities of the consumer product, it's not up to date, so maybe Dude, the commoditization on, isn't going to be as fast." Okay, let's let's listen now to um, how confident Nadella is on OpenAI having sorted out its governance uh, uh, issues.
2: Um, so I'm comfortable. I have no issues with any structure. What we just want is good stability uh, and. And as I said, we don't even need. Like, I'm not even interested in a board seat, or we don't need. we definitely don't have control. We have no. Uh, we just want to have a good commercial partnership, and we want to be investors in the entity, in even uh, the way they're structured. So, uh, what I would like is good governance and real stability. That's it.
1: You have a, a- good governance and stability. What I would Isn't like is that What's what, what not like. what I have. <laughs> I do you know one thing about those moments? I always wonder. He had to anticipate the question. He might have even been given this topics beforehand. I feel there's got to be a better answer you come up with. Again, at at this point to me, I don't know, does Microsoft, you you continue deflecting these kind of questions and say generic answers? Or do you commit to here's what this means for us and what we want from them?
0: Well, I, I guess like the thing that I'm mostly surprised about is why he didn't say I'm confident the governance issues are in good hands right now. Obviously, he doesn't think that. So I I guess that, like, oh, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yep, good nuance. He did not. Yeah, you're right. What I would like never said they've moved past and we're looking forward to the future or something generically be, corporate like that. He yeah. said what I would like.
0: So speaking of like some of the issues that we're going to see this year, it, it will be this continued uh, governance question with OpenAI. And it kind of goes back to the, question about Microsoft is like where what is their AI does can their AI play exist without OpenAI I
1: okay again and this is going to be my uh umpteenth Google or Microsoft co-pilot reference already in this episode but I think OpenAI is in trouble I think OpenAI is in trouble I think ch- again ChatGPT plus and that interface it's a great product it's you know been the leader in this But when you start looking at Microsoft essentially distancing themselves from open AI, the same way AI has added theoretically a trillion dollars to Microsoft's market cap. You have to assume the Microsoft partnership has been instrumental in pushing open AI to the 80 to 100 billion dollar valuation as well. Right. Um, you have the lawsuits from the New York Times. So from a copyright perspective, OpenAI is the poster child in Target. Mm-hmm. From a product standpoint, their own investor is giving away their product for free, which still blows my mind. I mean, at every level. And then from a governance and just corporate and organizational standpoint, they clearly have not really made people feel good about where they are. What's the bull case for OpenAI for you?
0: Well, I think we're about to talk about it, but I'll, I'll say first of all, All I think Satya is, I think he is in the fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me mode where he's like, all right, the first time we didn't see this coming, uh, we're not going to, we will be prepared in case the second time comes and we're not going to bet the company on one anymore. And I think that's the gist of his statements here because he was also like speaking to Brad and Brad asked him, this was, this, answer that he gave about governance was in res- Brad, Brad, Brad Stone from Bloomberg. The response that he gave was in, in response to a question about like, is he satisfied with the open AI government, governance? And he tells Brad, like, you're speaking to Sam later, aren't you? Like, he has to figure <laughs> that out before he gave this answer. So I found that really re- revealing. Now, okay, your question, what is the bull case for open AI? I, I, let's just listen to Sam Altman.
3: We're right about what's going to happen here. This is like bigger than just a technological revolution in some sense. I mean, so- sort of like all technological revolutions or societal revolutions, but this one feels like it can be much more of that than usual. And so it, it is going to become uh, a social issue, a political issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it already has in some ways, but I think it is strange to both of us that it's not more of that already, but with what we expect to happen this year, not with the election, but just with the, the increase in the capabilities of the products, uh, and as people really catch up with what's going to happen, what is happening, what's already happened,
0: uh, there's like a lot of inertia always in society. So that is fascinating to me that that Sam is basically telegraphing the fact that there are going to be enormous breakthroughs from OpenAI this year. And, you know, maybe some of it is CEO talk, but this has sort of become a theme for him, talking about all the stuff that we're going to see this year is going to be like, you know, pretty groundbreaking stuff. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like just a little bit smarter GPT model. I mean, what he's teasing is like something like he talks about that we're going to have to reckon with on a societal level. So that's the bull case for OpenAI, I think, is that they actually build that.
1: I don't know. I think to to me, the more I've looked, because again, I do believe and agree that the advancements and the speed of advancement is continuing again, even like mid-journey V6 versus V5 is, is, you know, like a step change in how good the quality is and how easy it is to use. So the idea that maybe OpenAI is going to have some massive new release, I think is very reasonable. Is it something that other people are not going to do? I don't know. Like, are other people catching up the clods of the world, even mid-journey, other competitors of different parts of OpenAI's ecosystem? But, but again, anytime the conversation moves into these kind of like theoretical AGI Terminator-ish scenarios, you know, I start to question how much of that is just kind of like, as you said, CEO talk and promises versus reality again like on this and we can we should definitely talk about you know on the societal impact side of things i think there's a lot of issues that are already being being created by gpt3 and then four some eventually five but i don't know that i wasn't sold on that
0: what does your gut tell you big stuff coming for OpenAI, or that was ceo speak this year
1: Uh, okay again it's a tough one i think Big stuff is coming, but I don't think it will be significantly different or better than what other companies are doing.
0: Okay, I'll take the other side of that coin. Uh, given what All I'm right. hearing from Sam, uh, I am very curious to see what the what technology they release. And there were some attempts at Davos to get him to talk about what's coming, but he <laughs> very gently refused. So, okay. But one more thing about uh, you know one more clip that we'll listen to is about the societal impact, and obviously. The question is like whether this is going to take jobs and i just spoke with albert vinger about that a couple weeks ago but um or last week but this is something that was put to sam uh front and center and here's his response on how it's impacting coders
3: you know you hear a coder say okay i'm like two times more productive three times more productive whatever than they used to be and i like can never code again without this tool you mostly hear that from the younger ones but um it turns out And I think this will be true for a lot of industries. The world just needs a lot more code than we have people to write right now. And so it's not like we run out of demand. It's that people can just do more. Expectations go up, but ability goes up too.
0: Okay, I'm personally with Sam on this one as well. I do think that we are just going to see more capabilities and people who are using AI living up to the expectations that their companies have in terms of being able to ship. And I don't really see like... I don't see it as something that's going to really reduce wages or minimize jobs across the economy. What's your perspective?
1: Oh, see, I think there will be a tremendous impact on jobs. I think it's going to reshape and reformulate a lot of different industries. I'm actually, I I am still, I I don't even know if the word is bullish, but convinced that that will happen. And I think, you know, there is going to be impact and there's going to be people needing to learn different skills and there's going to be, you know, it's it's going to be a big issue. But I did like that idea that the world will need more lines of code. <laughs> I th- that's pretty good. That's, I think, like, from a pure, like, coding perspective, maybe it doesn't shrink things too much that people who understand, there's still going to always need to be people who understand code and how to apply it so and how to use ai systems to generate code so i think that's reasonable i mean as a writer i think i actually probably maybe the world does not need as many words as oh my um, god it certainly does not li- exactly exactly <laughs> it Especially, needs better words
0: but not more words
1: yeah words the volume could decrease a little bit so so i think on that side again if you are a writer for an SEO optimized recipe site, that's probably gonna change. Um, I mean, all those things, that, that these things will all change, I think. But but I think from a societal impact, I mean, we have to talk about the upcoming US election. We just, the Iowa caucuses were this Monday, like it's yep. front and center right now and it it's happening right now.
0: So I think that we, yeah, let's definitely get into this, especially as it pertains to AI. And obviously this is gonna be a theme for us this year. Um, both like the elections that are coming 70 to 80 democratic elections across uh, the globe this week, this, sorry, this year. And of course, one in the U.S. Uh, We have a global audience. We won't go too crazy on U.S. politics, um, but, but it is obviously a testing ground for a lot. This U.S. presidential election is a testing ground for a lot of Worries of technologies, new technologies, and of course AI is going to be front and center. And I think there is this. It's, so first of all, I'm glad people are concerned about the fact that AI could po- pose some problems in the election. But I think that the level of attention that's getting compared to the problem is maybe disproportionate. Maybe some. Maybe people are trying to make up for the lack of attention for social media, and then how that how that effort played, and trying to say like. AI will have an equal impact and I just don't really see it. So let's just read the headline. So this is from the Wall Street Journal, OpenAI bans the use of AI tools for campaigning and voter suppression. Uh, and basically it says OpenAI's ChatGPT and DALI are mo- some of the most powerful AI chatbot and Im- uh, and image generation applications available. And then OpenAI said people aren't allowed to use its tools for political campaigning And lobbying people also aren't allowed to create chatbots that impersonate candidates and other real people or chatbots that pretend to be local governments. I think that like, this is a thing. In campaigning, the the cost to create media is so low that you don't really need AI to flood the world with disinformation and misinformation. Like it's going to be a problem with AI or without AI. And I don't think this dramatically causes a bigger problem. And I think that people, you know, if people are chatting with a politician chatbot, like, come on, like, is that going to sway an election? I doubt it. What do you think, Rajan?
1: I don't know. I, I I, so on one side, I do think the algorithms and we've you spoke with Kyle Chaka, uh, Chaka, um Chaka on Wednesday. And I, I mean, it was a really good episode on his new book uh and the impact of algorithms to me that's a much greater issue mm-hmm. than generative ai specifically because again it, what is p- the distribution side of it is just as important if not more important than the actual content creation side as you said you know you don't need generative ai to make up something and just tweet or post about it and then send it around but i do think the the there's the disinformation side then there's the kind of like complete fabrication and creation of a, like the deepfake side, the idea that uh, there, there was actually a politician back in December um, who had created, using generative AI, and it felt a little kind of PR gimmick issue as Democrat Shemaine Daniels was running for Congress and created her own AI-generated robocalls. That And the idea was she could make it more personalized and you could make it, you know, target people better and not have to do all the work of recording your own voice to target all these people. That, to me, was actually, like, an interesting, reasonable, productive use case of this. It's, like, actual tailored messaging to different constituencies that you use AI to generate so you don't have to sit in a studio all day to record wherever you would one records robocalls. But, of course you know we are in for an endless world of deep fakes of biden saying something or trump saying something or who whatever other candidate saying something and people believing it and i think that is a capability that exists this year that has not existed in any previous election
0: yeah i'll tell you where i think this actually starts to resonate it's when video generation gets good and then when we can't tell the difference between um you know what a real video of something like Donald Trump saying is in a fake video.
1: And oh wait! I, I, oh, sorry. Go, go, go. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I, I guess like what I'm going to say on this one is, and maybe maybe I should like. I think what you're about to say is that already exists. I what I'll say as as a counter is when it gets easy for everybody to make it, and then when that happens, it's not going to be as much as people believing that these videos are the truth. It's going to be about people believing what they want to believe and not caring whether they're fake or real. That's going to start to cause some problems. All right. What do you you have to say
1: about that? Okay. So it already exists. I (laughs) knew you were going to say that. You said I was going to say it and I said it. Um, So so there's (laughs) a company, there's a product, HeyGen, H-E-Y-G-E-N. And I've used it before. They kind of went viral, and it's actually mind-blowing that you can upload, uh, you know, like a 30-minute, to one 30-second, one-minute clip of yourself, and it will... The, originally, they went viral. But it would translate into another language in your exact voice and relatively match your lips up to the new words that are being spoken, and I tested it. I was, like, having it have me speak Chinese and Spanish and showing it to native speakers, and they're actually, like this is not bad. And it actually kind of looked like it was me speaking. And so this morning there was a really interesting, uh, on Twitter, on Twitter, I opened it. My entire for you feed was Javier Millet, the new Argentinian firebrand president, him giving a speech in Spanish that was translated in Heijan to English. So it's his voice. It's his words. It's his speech. But it's now reaching a, an English language audience in English and, and everyone was sharing it. And obviously it was more about the content itself. And this was not a deep fake in the sense of it was making things up about what he was saying. But it's honestly, it's so good that being able to change what people are saying and make it look reasonable and make it their lips look like they're kind of saying what they're, you're getting them to say in their voice. That's here. That's here this year. Definitely, yeah.
0: I saw you uh, tweet about that, and then I went and watched the video. It is really incredible how they can do those translations and make a video look like somebody is literally speaking the language in their voice, which is wild. Yeah, and it
1: honestly, the the platform—you just hit translate, you specify the target language. It takes like uh, maybe like for every minute of video, like ten minutes. You can tell there's probably some like serious processing going on on the other side, and then it looks good. It looks very good. So, so that technology is here. And I, we, we haven't even seen the first major mishap, and I think we will.
0: Yeah. So maybe that's something that we see this year. The Davos consensus is what everybody at Davos starts to agree on, like all the elites, the prime ministers and the governmental officials and the business elites. Um, they tend to walk away from the conference agreeing on something, and then it almost universally ends up being wrong. Like they showed up in january 2020 didn't speak at all about covid um, and of course that's what dominated the world for the next couple of years so ben smith was on uh, squawk box on uh, ben smith the editor-in-chief of semaphore was on squawk box uh, and talking about what the consensus is this year uh, and his perspective is that everybody at davos this year is sure that donald trump is going to win the presidential election in the u.s in 2024 which indicates knows? Maybe that's good news for Biden or some other candidate that we don't even know about. <laughs> the that's about
1: curse is the new uh, Sports Illustrated curse for older listeners.
0: <laughs> so Apple has the Vision Pro uh, it, it coming out soon. It put the device in the hands of lots of influencers, reviewers. People took pains to say, this is not a review. I just got 30 minute, de- a 30 minute demo from them, but we're already starting to see some reactions here about the direction of this device and Ranjan, they are not good. So Bloomberg had a, uh, a headline, big headline that said, Apple's vision pro headset lacks blockbuster buzz and heated to energize shares. And basically saying that it's unlikely to, um, play a major role in changing the perception that it's growth a day is in the past. Um. And this is from uh, this is a quote from Denny Fish, who manages uh, techs, tech funds at Yanis Henderson. He says uh, it's hard to ask someone to pay $3,500 for a product where there's a limited amount limited amount of content people can't get on their phone, which means it'll be pretty darn niche at least for a couple of years. I think that's a great point. Have you seen the reviews of the Vision Pro? I mean, my perspective is. You know, I don't think it will necessarily be dead on arrival, but it's really going to have a rough go of it as it gets released by Apple.
1: Yeah, I think what is a rough go is the big question, because obviously you hear some people, you know, just make simple calculations at thirty five hundred dollars times X units. Suddenly you have a billion dollar new business. But the reviews have been rough. It's everyone saying it's heavy. Everyone's saying that, uh, you know, the typing does not work very well. Um, It's like pinching, no, pinching is to select, but they're supposed to be these virtual keyboards that you just like use your, move your fingers and it types on the keyboard.
0: Yeah, let me read German's quote from there. He says, Apple's, uh, Mark German from Bloomberg, the Vision Pro virtual keyboard is a complete write-off at least in 1.0. You have to poke each key one finger at a time like you did before you learned how to type. There is no magical in-air typing. You can also look at a character and pinch. You'll want a Bluetooth keyboard.
1: Yeah. No, this is big. I mean, I think these issues are big. However, I think the one thing, the one thing I read that seemed to be a good synopsis of what Apple's uh, launch strategy is, because even though they've been giving out units and there's certainly been coverage and it's clear they've had fairly, you know, uh, controlled demos with influential members of the press, it's that this members is not of the press. And friendly members of the press, that this is not a big launch. As crazy as that sounds to say, this is not some like gigantic launch, that this is something where they're just trying to get, you know, this in the hands of the right people. In the end, it's going to be the developer ecosystem that creates the use cases. It's going to be the, you know, companies that build the right apps and experiences on it. Some number of people will, you know, try it out and, talk about how cool it is to their friends who eventually will get a version two. I think I think that not overblowing the potential of this at the start is actually the right move.
0: Okay, so I actually completely agree with you on that point, believe it or not. I just wonder whether there is a way for them to not blow out the importance. Like, it is going to have to be a very very managed takeoff, if that's the case, because think about the release event that they did about this, right? Not just a device, a new form of computing. So how do you go from that, showing all these like magical scenarios, now to be like, all right, this is a half launch, patience, please.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. Also, let's not forget, remember the launch event, the dad who was wearing it and like staring at his two kids, (laughs) like- It was very sad. Yes. Yeah, they said the saddest dad in the world. I think. Uh,
0: I think <laughs> those kids will grow up thinking that their dad's eyes are just projected. Yeah, are on those eyes.
1: fake uh, vision pro uh, visor, vision pro eyes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting. I think. I think again, especially like out of all the reviews, we still have seen none of people using it on their own terms, and I do think that was pretty interesting because. The, I, at the moment, it remain, remains a controlled demo. It feels even further away from reality, and they're still. And I think you had predicted these would not go out at the beginning of February, end of January.
0: I
3: did. They're
1: still sticking to it. So, so in a couple of weeks, we're gonna ha- we're gonna know some people. I'm not giving not up pre-ordered. on that bet yet. I'm
0: not giving up on the bet.
1: Wow! Yet. All right, January 18th. They're still saying. I think it was February 2nd, right? I promise you that delay is coming. All right.
0: All right. Stick with it. (laughs) Okay. I'm not fully confident anymore, but I think it might come. So they also are shipping the thing without Netflix. Did you see this? Netflix is not participating and um, they're just not supporting it. They're going to tell people to just watch it on their laptops.
1: Yeah, I, I was very... It was interesting cuz it said that like a lot of the you know major entertainment streaming platforms are making custom apps for the Vision Pro. I guess is it a power move by Netflix to say we're just going to wait and see and uh, if we see others create interesting use cases then we'll follow along but but it is is cuz as we've talked about I think you know entertainment Memories like are the kind of initial use cases far be- before people figure out how to, you know, rethink computing, which is a little more grandiose. Just watching a movie in an insanely immersive environment is a good starting point. So I was pretty surprised by that because I would think Netflix would clearly want to align itself with if this creates a new type of cinema, you would think Netflix wanna, would want to be a leader in it.
0: But maybe this is just revenge of the app developer, right? Apple has been squeezing app developers like Netflix for so long, obviously still fighting the anti-steering thing where they're not really supposed to tell people anymore, uh, tell app developers anymore that they can't point people to pay on their own pages and sort of like, okay, well, here we go now. Like maybe Netflix is like, you want us to help you launch your next device and make it successful? How about rethinking what we're paying? you know or or rethinking our ability to to let people know where to subscribe on our app
1: actually in terms of revenge of the app developers spotify as we all know has become been one of the very vocal voices about you know in battle with apple around the the app store tax and annoyance that they have to play ball and give away 30% of their subscription revenue through to apple if it's comes through the app store this is the smallest, nerdiest UI thing, but like today I was sharing a song from Spotify and I noticed they put iMessage, the ability to share it after everything else that exists on your phone, whereas every other app puts iMessage first if you have an iPhone. And you could just see there was some developer who very clearly was uh, thought that one through that some little jab at Apple through some little UI tweak that we're going to try to punch you where we can. So yeah, I think... These companies, they, they go back and forth.
0: Exactly, and yeah, that's my story in big technology this week. I mean, it'll be out Friday morning, but just um, the perspective is that Apple's offensive moves have actually opened up lanes for its competitors, especially Meta. So we talked about that last week. We'll oh, have to yeah, rehash yeah. it again, but yep. that is something that's happening. It'll be interesting to see what happens with these, with these developers as they're asked to come on board the Vision Pro, and maybe they say, listen, you want your product to be successful. Yeah. All right. Well, let's make a deal around that thirty percent.
1: Well, hold on. I'm going to make a call here, though. Yeah. It is it only though? Because any time, let's say this is a completely new medium, is it brand new companies that actually figure it out and take advantage instead of the incumbents? And I mean, which puts Apple in a great position. But and I think it could be that you know the next Netflix that lives in the immersive Vision Pro environment might not be Netflix at all.
0: Yeah, well, it's going to take money to program for the Vision Pro. So Netflix exactly. has the money. It's going to be Not tough. Not with generative for... AI. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's right. We are the real format of the Vision Pro. We'll be seeing political propaganda deep fakes.
1: <laughs> that's the promise. It's a new <laughs> <Exactly>. world.
0: <laughs> All right, let's take a break. We'll come back here. and We're going to talk a little bit more about layoffs at Google and
2: Meta's big investment in NVIDIA. Back right after this. Hey, I'm Michael Kovnat, host of The Next Big Idea Daily. The show is a masterclass in better living from some of the smartest writers around. Every morning, Monday through Friday, we'll serve up a quick 10-minute lesson on how to strengthen your relationships, supercharge your creativity, boost your productivity, and more. Follow The Next Big Idea Daily wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Tomar Korn, LinkedIn's chief product officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plat, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers
3: and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast, Friday edition, breaking down the week's news. So Google laid off 12,000 people last year. They are laying off 1,000 early this year, but those layoffs will continue to trickle. As the year goes on, we've also seen layoffs at Discord and at Amazon. uh, the the um, the Twitch unit was impacted significantly. I mean, the tech layoffs are not over. We've talked about them, but what what's strong what's really sticking out to me with the, this round of Google layoffs is like the employees are rebelling a little bit. Like, first of all, you're seeing stuff on um, on Y Combinator that we'll get to, but there is this post I, I think it's real from a current employee on LinkedIn. And their, their perspective is, my hot take, Google does not have a single visionary leader, not one, not from the C-suite to the SVPs to the VPs. They are all profoundly boring and glass-eyed. Okay, this person, by the way, their post got plenty of likes from people with like the Google profile picture. So maybe those are people who have left the company, but it says that uh, this is a software engineer and says that they're still there. God, i wish i could maybe i should just read the whole thing <laughs> google has not launched one single successful executive driven thing in years sometimes vps try to decree we need a new chat app or ai first demo for io there's a huge death march and in the end the thing is half baked and roundly derided if it doesn't get 100 million users in six months they give up give it up and shut it down it's like the joke algorithm that i learned about in college bogo sort In each iteration of the algorithm, you reorder everything randomly, and if the elements happen to land in order, you are done. Some of Google's executives are competent referees, I couldn't name which, but it feels like I've seen it done in my eight plus years. They point in a direction, Their subordinates swarm the area, try a bunch of stuff, and sometimes something sticks and it's cool. Right now, all these boring, glassy-eyed leaders are trying to point in a vague direction, AI, while at the same time killing their golden goose, given they have no real vision of their own. They really need their subordinates to come up with cool stuff for them. And at the same time, they've been rolling layoffs. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's a remarkable post. What do you think about the fact that this is, should we just look at this as disgruntled employee or what, what do you think it is?
1: No, I think, and we've talked about this a lot, that out of companies launching completely new products, paradigms, anything, what was the last major thing that Google did? And, you know, is it YouTube, Google Maps? All these things have been around for a long, long time. And, and as you said, it's the uh, – in or as this author wrote – that idea that things have to hit such a scale that if it doesn't get to 100 million users in six months, they give up and shut it down. I've heard that from people who mm-hmm. were previously at Google, and that's exactly you know the the opposite of some kind of longer innovation where you're experimenting and testing, and certain things take off, and then those you continue investing and and yeah, I think the what is the vision is still unclear. It's clear that. This is going to completely transform their golden goose. And what's it going to look like after that? No one knows. But already you see, like, generative search on Google is pretty good. But Microsoft's Copilot is an iOS-dedicated app, is a website, works well. They're going after search already. Companies like Perplexity are going after search already. And Bard is still Barding. So... And isn't, isn't even available on an iOS app. So I think like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough over there.
0: Let me read some of, now I'm going to go to my favorite comment, which was on my Combinator. Okay. It says, Sundar is not a psychopath. You're making a common error, ascribing humanity to Sundar. This is about the layoffs, by the way. <laughs> Sundar is a growth robot with no moral system. See this description of Larry Ellison. You need to think of Larry Ellison the way you think of a lawnmower. You don't anthropomorphize your lawnmower. The lawnmower just mows the lawn. You stick your hand in there and it'll chop it off. The end. You don't think, oh, the lawnmower hates me. The lawnmower doesn't give a shit about you. Lawnmower can't hate you. Don't anthropomorphize the lawnmower. Don't fall into that trap about Oracle. The difference is is that Sundar is an industrial scale trash compactor, not a lawnmower. And then someone responds, the comparison to Oracle is pretty good. Working for Sundar's Google, it sounds like this is a current employee, feels a lot like working for a company whose only product is quarterly earnings reports. I have no idea what the company's mission anymore is besides, uh, number goes up. The old descriptions of Google's creative, disruptive, academic culture seem very foreign at this point. Our raw materials are the brains of new comp sci graduates and our product is money.
1: Okay, there's a lot of gold in that one. I'd never heard the Larry. Had you heard the Larry Ellison no, lawnmower? No, that was the first for me. Yeah. that that was quality. You don't <laughs> if the, if you put your hand in the lawnmower and it chops it off. The lawnmower doesn't hate you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, that's I think a pretty fair summation. Like, like it, it, I think for Google, if you think about the whole vision thing, to organize the world's information was a very difficult problem and hard and noble thing i mean that's actually right now with large language models organizing large chunks of the world's information has become one of the simplest things to do and it what do you do after that like actually yeah what is what do you think google's next growth area could be
0: i don't know Putting no more ads on it'd YouTube be, videos. Yeah, yeah. it better freaking be AI. Like it better be large language models.
1: I think shoving even more ads into a YouTube pre-roll and making you watch like four minutes of ads to watch a 30-second video. That's oh the God. future. What a yeah.
0: torture to make you sign up for YouTube premium or something like that. Yeah.
1: I still Bad. have it. Do you?
0: It's a real like, oh, sorry?
1: Are you a YouTube premium subscriber?
0: No, but I think
1: about it all the time. Yeah, same, same. But I just refuse to. It's a lot of I money. Will, I know, it's not should be free. I will, on pre- Actually, so years ago, before YouTube had ads, I asked someone at Google, how are you going to monetize this? And they insisted that there would eventually be some pre-roll ads... But they would never have uh, what is it called when an ad shows up in the middle of a long video? There's some specific mid-roll? advertising mid-roll ads, yeah. Um, never have mid-roll, and that you would always be able to skip every ad. Like this was a very proud person. I think it was like 2010, 2011, maybe saying this to me, and then look at YouTube now. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It does. It does seem like there were where there's smoke, there's fire, and, and within Google. Like it does seem like this is maybe not like perfectly correct about what's going on, but maybe directionally accurate. So we'll, we'll keep looking into it. It would be an interesting, I mean, they've definitely slowed down. There's no doubt about that under Sundar. Uh, last story for us this week, Meta uh, is like one of the first companies to announce how many H100 chips they have from NVIDIA. They say they have, at the end of this year, they're going to have about 350,000 NVIDIA H100s, which is what you change. Train uh, AI on uh, overall and and overall six hundred thousand H one hundred and H one hundred equivalents of compute. If you include other GPUs, okay, this is a massive amount of computing that they're using for AI. Zuckerberg also said they wanted to achieve, they want to achieve artificial general intelligence, which has long been the goal of the fa- Facebook AI Research Lab. By the way, quick plug: Joel Pino, who runs fa- Facebook AI Research uh, or Meta AI Research, whatever it's called now, is going to be on. Uh, in two weeks, and next week we have an awesome guest, Dennis Crowley, the founder of Foursquare, is coming on. We're going to talk about Foursquare, the Foursquare moment, New York politics, all that stuff. Okay, so with that plug now done, we hope you stick around for those episodes. Um, this is a tremendous amount of money. I think the estimates are that they're they've spent around ten billion on these chips, and this number is half of all the H100s. Nvidia said it was going to make this year. Obviously, this is cumulative, but holy shit, what an investment that company is making in this stuff.
1: I mean, it's better than the metaverse, I think. (laughs) I think, you know, like the line item for... Uh, You know, the the innovation of reality labs. And this is one important thing, that for a long time, the amount of spend on reality labs, everyone was only ascribing to the metaverse itself and virtual reality, basically. Whereas for a long time, they've said, like, AI research lived under that same budget. So investors have to be, again, very happy that more and more of that money now is actually going to this infrastructure war. And I think it's smart. This is Mm -hmm. where a lot of the battle will take place and to position yourself well for this. I don't know, or actually, do you you think this is the right strategic move?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'll just point to a tweet from Brad Gerstner, who is the uh, investor who wrote this open letter to Mark Zuckerberg that effectively kicked off the year of efficiency, saying that Meta needs to get fit and control costs. And he's reacting to Meta spending all this money on NVIDIA H100s. And here's what he says. Uh, People continue to underestimate just how well-positioned Meta is for this AI moment. No giant monopoly being attacked, in parentheses Google. No low-margin business model at risk of commoditization, such as cloud software. And it reaches 3 billion people a day. And it might just give us open-source, artificial, general intelligence. So if he is, you know, uh, uh, celebrating this investment in AI, it sort of tells you the way that that Investors are going to look at it and man, what a moment for meta, right? Like position pretty well heading back towards a trillion dollar market cap. And people are now using meta products as a virtue signal for how, um, good they are in society, AKA threads, something you would never imagine a Mark Zuckerberg property, uh, uh, being associated with. And so they must be quite happy and riding high right now. And you know what, for good reason.
1: I have to say, when you come up with the term twenty twenty three would be the quote unquote year of efficiency that is so bland and corporate yet you actually execute on it as a giant company. I have to give you ah uh, give you some credit they They said they would do something and they did it
0: right exactly and uh how how infrequently that happens in the business world. so yeah, well, we tell you we're going to be here every Friday and we're here. And we're going to do it again next week. So thank you, Ranjan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. (laughs)
1: We do what we say.
0: We're going to execute the year of news on Friday. It's on. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ranjan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, As I mentioned, next Wednesday, we should have Dennis Crowley on the show, the founder and CEO, uh, I guess former CEO of Foursquare, talking about what that was all like and also about his interest in owning uh, small soccer teams, actually, in, in North America. So that could be... That'll be really interesting and fun. I've been looking forward to having Dennis on the show for a while, so I'm very excited that's going to happen. Uh, and then again, the week after Joe Alpinio. In the meantime, Ranjan and I will be back next Friday for another show breaking down the news. We'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast.